And uh, we're going through the book of Psalm, and uh, as I read these, I, I guess I should not really be amazed, but uh, sometimes I am, how close they parallel a lot of the Proverbs. Of course, we went through the book of Proverbs, and, uh, and so I'm just reminded over and over when I read these, some of these, these themes and some of these ideas come up, and, and they're, they're different uh, in the book of Psalms in that they're dealt with life experiences and how David oftentimes would experience the problems and difficulties uh, of life. And then I'm sure, I have no doubt, that he instructed his son Solomon. And then God would amplify that wisdom that Solomon had because God certainly did make Solomon wise. And, uh, and so, but it's, it's interesting how they do parallel quite frequently and how much of the uh, content uh, has to do with several of the same things. Psalm chapter 12 is a little bit different than some of the other psalms we've gone through. And, uh, and it, is, it talks about really uh, powerful words is really what it talks about, the, almost the entire thing. And uh, so we'll look at this. The Bible says there in Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 1, he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walked on every side when the, when the vilest men are exalted. Let's stop and pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for the Psalms that we can look at. God, we can be blessed. We can be encouraged. We can be strengthened by looking into your word. Father, uh, I pray that you'd use me this evening. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to each and every heart, encourage and strengthen each and every person, Father. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I love reading uh, a passage and studying really a passage, especially where there are some verses that are familiar. Uh, they're very familiar passages. And verse 6 and 7, at least to me, are very familiar passages. I've heard uh, lots of messages, lots of teaching on the words of the Lord are pure words. And silver tried in a furnace uh, of earth purified seven times and and I've spent a lot of time studying those, and honestly, I could preach an entire message just off of those two verses, but I really want to look uh, at chapter 12 in its entirety, and I absolutely love how those verses plug right in to the entirety. Uh, isn't context really amazing? I mean, it is. And, uh, and I love it when uh, those verses that we've heard so much, or I've heard so much about, uh, really fit into the whole context. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you hear a verse that's very familiar, people have used it, and then you get to the context and you find, 
that ain't what that verse is teaching at all. And you're like, well, that's that. But, uh, but these, they really fit into this chapter, I feel like, and they plug in. And uh, it's so refreshing to see the entire context of chapter 12. I want you to notice in chapter 12, it starts out a little bit different uh, than many of our other psalms uh, because he starts off with the first word, help. Uh, boy, what a way to start a psalm. And, uh, and as you look at it, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 5, I want you to notice fallible words. They're fallible words. He starts off, not that the Word of God is fallible, I'm not saying that. We'll look at the fallible words here in a moment because uh, these are Bible words. But look at what it says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Uh, and we find here in verse 1 uh, that there is, there is a cry that comes out for help. Now, a cry for help would come out in an emergency situation, uh, often where maybe pain or helplessness is a factor, and, uh, and they're going to require somebody else's help. And the very first word, as I pointed out, is help. It's a cry that comes from a dire situation in which help is needed. And you say, well, what's, what's the problem? What is going on? Well, he gives you the context there as we go down through there. But I want you to notice in verse number one, uh, I believe the help that is referenced there, it, it deals really with some hurt that David would feel. Uh, he's crying out help because he is hurt. Uh, you look at there what he says. Look at the, 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 the verses there, or verse number one, rather. He says, help, Lord. Why does he need help? For the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. In the nature of this situation, uh, David is hurt by somebody that he esteemed uh, or held close to him, and there's the feelings of betrayal that he feels. Uh, that's kind of the idea that I get out of there. Why? Because you see there he labels that the godly people or the godly man ceaseth and for the faithful fail from among the children of men. In other words, good people will fail. They will. You can mark it down because at its root uh, and the underlying of it all is this, we're man, we're human. We, we have a sin nature. Every person does. Uh, and there is no such thing as Superman. I hate to break it to you. Uh, you know, we like to think, well, you know, I'm going to live a great life and I'm going to live a perfect life. Hey, listen, there is no such thing as a super Christian. Uh, you know, we, we all have the flesh. We all wrestle with that flesh. And every one of us have a propensity and every one of us will at some point fail and fall in our lives. And we have got to recognize that. David is recognizing that. Matter of fact, he's hurt by it. Uh, listen, when faithful people fall, it hurts other people. It does. Uh, boy, it's, it's been all over the news for several years. It's not new, but it seems like, boy, they, they want to propagate the fall of Christian leaders in general. Uh, Baptist, you know, whatever, even Catholic, they want, to, they want to propagate that. Why? Because it is a world system. We're in a spiritual battle. You understand that? And if Satan can make all religious 
leaders look like uh, bad people. Uh, there's a distrust that's sown for religion and for God in general, then that's the attack tactic that he's going after. And, uh, and I'm, not say, I'm not excusing it by any, any means whatsoever. We ought to live right. We ought to do right. We ought to try and do the very best we can. But at some point, we will mess up. We ought to be very careful in our lives, though. Uh, and, and so we find that good people do fall. Let me just say this. It does not mean that they were always wicked or fake or false intentioned. Sometimes we look at people and, and we're hurt by other people who have fallen and we say, man, was that, there, uh, was that always there and I missed it? Uh, let me give you a ridiculous example of, that, that is not in, uh, well, just a ridiculous example. David, David failed uh, with Bathsheba. There's no doubt about it. That was a sin uh, that was wrong that he did. Matter of fact, it's compounded. We won't go into it, but, but of course, he killed Uriah, the Hittite. Uh, there was a lot of sin there that was just absolutely wrong. Some people could take it this way. Uriah, we'll, we'll take Uriah's family. Uriah's family could take it this way. That old David, way back when he slew Goliath, he was just a plotting so that he could rise up to be king in Israel so he could steal Bathsheba from, from Uriah the Hittite just to have me killed. I mean, that's the lunacy that can be arrived at if we're not careful by thinking, well, everyone's bad. No, David was a good person when he, when he killed Goliath. Uh, he was not uh, planning in his head years in advance to fall into sin. Uh, David was trying to, to do right and live right. Uh, and sometimes we can be so, um, have our perspective so skewed that we, we see everything in that person's past as evil and as bad. And we just have to be careful of that because that's not always the case. He says here, the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fall from among the children of men. And we just have to be careful and understand that, listen, it does hurt when people fall. Uh, it is damaging to us when we look up to somebody or when somebody else falls. I got a good friend of mine, and I'll keep all names out, but, uh, but he, he had a preacher that he wanted to sign his Bible, and, and, uh, and so he went and stood in line for a long time and, and, uh, and had this preacher sign his Bible, and, and, and the next day uh, it broke in the news, and they hauled the guy off to jail. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this Bible now? Got this signature of this guy. It hurts. It is hurtful. It's difficult to swallow when people, good people, uh, fall into sin. That is hard thing to swallow. Let me just say this, that bad people will intentionally hurt you. Good people with good intentions will fail you and hurt you. And sometimes it's tough to know the difference between those people. Let me say that again. Bad people will intentionally hurt you. Good people with good intentions will fail you and hurt you. Sometimes it's tough to know the difference between those two types of people. 
And David was obviously hurting. He cries out for help uh, because he was disappointed. He was hurt by somebody uh, that was godly, somebody that was faithful, uh, that had fallen and was no longer living for the Lord as as he expected him to. Uh, The third thing I think about all of this, as far as this hurt that was taking place, is that disappointment uh, hurts. What is disappointment? Disappointment is this, having certain expectations that are not met or fulfilled. I gave an illustration, I think it was Sunday or last week or whenever it was, that uh, I had mentioned to my children at one point uh, when they were little, hey, we're going to get ice cream, and they were excited. And then, of course, we couldn't get ice cream for whatever reason. And as a parent, I learned, uh, let's not mention ice cream until we are on our, until we're standing in the parking lot of the ice cream place. Uh, because you might get a flat tire on the way, and you just never know what's going to take place. And so, uh, so you know, that, that child had the expectation of, man, ice cream, I can't wait to get the ice cream. And that expectation is there, but as soon as something happens that may very well be out of our control, uh, and it puts a dent in that plan and says, well, that's postponed until next week uh, or two weeks later, whenever it is, then what that experience is, is disappointment. And listen, we all experience that in life. Sometimes, you know, you expect something from somebody uh, and it does not happen and you can be very disappointed. And, uh, and so we need to be careful about those things. So David uh, was, obviously he was hurt by somebody that was good. And good people sometimes fail and do things that are wrong. I want you to notice uh, there we see the hurt in verse number one. I want you to see the hindrance of what this person was doing. Look with me in verse number two. We see the hurt in verse one. We see the hindrance in verse number two. He says, they speak vanity everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart, do they speak? Hindrance. Uh, this person, I'm assuming is the same person in chapter or verse number one, that was a godly person, that was a faithful person, probably somebody that was close to David, is now running around and, and, uh, and speaking vanity with everyone that is his neighbor. These godly, faithful people end up speaking vanity, uh, and vanity is this, it's useless, empty nothingness to their neighbor. But it's often destructive to somebody else. And listen, you know what that is, basically it's gossip. Uh, he, he's going around and he's, he's talking to other people. Why do you say that? Well, I say that because in verse number one, he cries out for help. In other words, hey, there are, there are words being flung that are against David uh, or, or perhaps something else that is justifying uh, maybe their actions that were wrong or whatever it is. Uh, it could be a, a myriad of things, I suppose, but, uh, but there is certainly damage that is being done uh, and that's why David is crying out for help in verse number one. And so we see possibly gossip, that he's running around telling bad things that are happening. Uh, that would be vanity. Uh, look at what he says. With flattering lips, and, a, and the last part, with a double heart do they speak. We find that they're trying to get good favor. A double heart. 
would be uh, that of, of dual intentions or purposes. This is somebody who has more than, uh, than what meets the eye is their agenda. In other words, they're, uh, they're, they're trying to, to do more than what they just are saying they want to do. They may show up and they may say, hey, I just want to be your friend. But there's more than that that they are after. There's something behind that that they are working towards. And, uh, and they have a double heart. Uh, and they're trying to work an angle to accomplish something in their life. And uh, look at their goals. Uh, he says they're a double heart. Do they speak? They didn't just come to talk about the weather. They didn't come because they care about you. They didn't come innocently just to shoot the breeze and talk about the events that are taking place in the world. Uh, they came with bad intentions, and they will not show it all. But they'll lead you down a rabbit hole that will cause all kinds of problems. And so we find that uh, they can be a real hindrance and, uh, and we see the hurt in verse number one. It is hurtful. It is disappointing. It is something that's painful. We see the hindrance as they, uh, they cause, continue to cause problems. Hey, listen, I, every one of us have experienced stuff like this. I mean, it, you just do. And, and, and it happens in life. And so we see the hurt, we see the hindrance as we look at these failable words of man. Uh, look at the help in verse number 3. He says, The Lord shall cut off all the flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Hey, listen, who is it that's going to help David? Uh, he says there in verse number 1, Help, Lord. His cry is not to the masses. His cry and his appeal is not to the neighbors to which uh, this, this person has gone to. His cry and his appeal is not to friends and family. His cry and his appeal is rightly made to the Lord God. We see that over and over and over in the book of Psalms. What a great concept that, that, the apostle, or that uh, David would go to the Lord. And he says in verse number 3, The Lord shall cut off all their flattering lips. He didn't say, man, I'm going to march right down there and I'm going to tell them and I'm going to straighten that story out because they got it all messed up and I'm going to set the record straight. No, he didn't say, he didn't do that. He says, Lord... I'm depending on you, and I'm going to leave this in your hands. I love the verse. I memorized it years ago. Psalm 121.1 uh, says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Boy, you want a helper? That's the guy you want. You don't need anybody else. If you've got the Lord on your side and you're living right and you're doing right and the Lord is there to help you, hey, I mean, He made heaven and He made earth. Uh, there's nobody better. There's nobody stronger. There's nobody wiser to help you in your situation than the Lord. And David rightly appeals to the Lord in verse number one. Help, Lord, is his cry for help. We see... Uh, that he, who's his help? It's the Lord. Who's going to be judged? Look with me in verse number 4. Who have said with our lips, these are those that are going to have their lips cut off. These are the ones that their, 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 their tongues will be stopped. Uh, he says, who have said with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? 
Boy, you read that verse and you can just see their, uh, their uh, rebellious attitude that they have. Uh, they're saying, hey, we're going to prevail. Boy, we can, we can really spin the words and we're really good at, at making sure and with our words, I am telling you what, we are going to prevail. That's what they're saying. And, uh, and the Lord, this is who the Lord is going to judge. Look at what they say. Our lips are our own. Well, I read that. The Lord brought to mind 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. These people, and I'm making the assumption, I'm drawing the line all the way back to verse 1, that they were godly people, that they were faithful people, and they probably were at some point, but they have rebelled against God, and they have gone to the point that they refuse to submit to God, and they're saying, hey, these, these lips, they're my lips. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me the words to say. And, and, and they've, they've put up this rebellious attitude towards God, and they're saying, uh, look at the last phrase they use, who is Lord over us? They're saying, there's nobody's my boss. Nobody's able to control me. I'm my own man. I'm my own person. And I'm going to do what I want to do is kind of the attitude that they come off. These are the people that God is going to judge. These are the ones whose lips will be cut off, whose tongues shall be stopped, that speak proud things because their arrogance is just overflowing in verse number 4 to the point that God is going to stop it. We see who will help, that's the Lord. We see who will be judged in verse number 4. Look with me in verse number 5. We see why they'll be judged. Isn't this interesting? Verse 5, this comes up several times in the book of Psalms. It says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. I thought that was really funny, that phrase, he puffeth at him. You think about all of that. You think about the words. And, and you know, if, if I'm a big tough guy or something, and I'm like, did that, did that hurt? No. I mean, puffeth at him, that's like, what is he doing? You know what? God's saying all of his words are nothing but a bunch of empty air that would sound like a puff, they're not gonna, it's not going to do anything because God is going to remove the poor and the oppressed and those that are in needy uh, in the time of help and he is going to, he's going to save them and watch out for them. And what I'm saying is this, sometimes, listen, I've been there, we've all been there, sometimes we fret, sometimes we worry about everything that's going on, that all the people this and all the people that, and they're going to think this and they're going to say that. Listen, you take your case to the Lord and you can rest in Him over and over and over. Because, can I tell you something? You'll never run out of people that will just talk. There's plenty of people out there. There's lots of people that will carry contrary opinions. But we need to take our case to the Lord. 
we see that with David. We see in those five verses fallible words. That's the words of man that they're directing against David, that they're, they're maybe, maybe not even against him. Maybe they're trying to cover their own case and, and trying to justify their own actions, and maybe that's the, the, the situation. We, we really don't know. All I know is that they think that they're going to prevail with their words, but God clearly says, you're not going to. It's not going to last. It's not going to win. And we see the failability of man's words. But I want you to notice, and I love this in verse number 6, he contrasts all of that with God's Word. And he says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We see uh, the faithful words of God. In verse number 6, he says, The words of the Lord are pure words. You know what the word pure means? Without any admixture of air or corruption that would be put into them. I've used this illustration many times, but if, if I had water, uh, a pure glass of water up here. Uh, matter of fact, in Peru, they would sell bottled water. And when I first got to Peru, the missionary told me, he said, now, uh, it might have been the missionary's son, I don't remember, but he told me, he said, when you go and buy water, he said, you need to look at the, at the seal at the top. He said, because sometimes they'll open them up and then they'll refill them with their, their water out of their faucet and, uh, and trust me, you do not want to drink that. Put the top back on and they sell it. Make another soul. 25 cents. Might have been 20 cents. I don't remember. And, and they'll do that so that they can make more money. And, and he said, so you've got to watch. And so listen, if I've got myself a pure bottle of water that I check the seal and I know that thing has not been opened, it's sealed, I'm safe, and, and you come over and you just want to put one drop of water in it. I'm like, uh-uh. No, thank you. I've been there. I've done that. I know what it does, and I'm not interested. I don't even want to drop. Why? Because what I have is pure water with no, no, no admixture whatsoever. It is 100% pure H2O. It's not H2O+. I don't want H2O+. I don't want anything added to my water. I just want straight up water. And listen, the Bible, God is calling the Word of God, it is pure. It's not been mixed with other things. I've said this, I could spend the rest of the night talking about it, and I promise I won't. Uh, but, but listen, all these new Bibles that they say they just read easier, there's, there, is, there is thousands of differences. You know, if, you, know you can't t- just copy the King James Bible and then, and then change five words and then copyright it and sell it and make money. That's, there's, there's a certain percentage of variance that they have to do in order to get a copyright. And all these new Bibles, guess what? They're all copyrighted. You know why they're copyrighted? Not just for the protection of the, the, the text. Man, they're pulling money in. They don't want, uh, they don't want to lose money. It is, a big, 
if they didn't want to earn money, uh, if they were truly interested in the Word of God, they would tackle putting out the Word of God in the thousands of other languages, uh, or maybe hundreds, I don't know the exact number right now, but, but they would tackle that instead of putting out new Bibles in English. How many Bibles do we have in English? I gave it several, maybe a month ago now. There's, I don't remember how many revisions there are. There's hundreds. I can't even keep track of them all. They're copyright after copyright after copyright, and everyone's putting money in their pockets. And listen, the Word of God is not a business. It is the pure Word of God. I don't want all the changes. I don't want all the additions. I don't want all the omissions so that they can make their percentage and get their copyright. The Word of God is to be a pure Word, and we have the pure Word of God in the King James Bible. And, uh, and so um, the Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words. That's, there's no additions. There's no subtractions. Uh, it's just the pure word of God. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. I had this thought hit me. And I know that's, that word as is just a, a like or as. It's a comparative and it's giving you an illustration but as I looked at the illustration, I just kind of fell in love with it because God's always wise. And, uh, and it says, tried in a furnace of earth seven times. Or uh, furnace of earth purified, excuse me, seven times. And I thought, boy, God is so amazing that he can keep the word of God pure. Even here on the earth, in the furnace of the earth, if I could say it that way. And God does. He has an absolute pure and purified Word of God. Look with me. Um, the next verse there, verse number 7. Not only is it pure, not only is it purified, but it's also preserved. Let me go back to purified just for a minute. I, I had this written down, and let me just give it to you really quick. One time when I was in Bible college, I had to memorize Bible verses, and, and you had to write it down on the test, absolutely word perfect, punctuation perfect, everything. And, uh, and so I took, as I often would do, I would jot the verses down on a three-by-five card, and I would take that, and I would memorize it, memorize it, and I would write it out. And so, man, I jotted it down on a, uh, a three-by-five card, and I memorized it for a week, and, man, I got that thing down, and I had it punctuation perfect. I got everything, and I got to the test. I sat down, and, uh, and I, wrote, uh, I wrote the verse just like I had memorized it. And uh, I turned in my test. I got my test back. I got it wrong. Man, I got my three-by-five card out. I compared it. I mean, it was right. I was like, what in the world? And I grabbed my Bible, and I compared it to my Bible, and it was wrong. I copied it wrong. And you know what? We're prone to error. But you know what? God is amazing because he's prone to perfection. He's prone to compensate for our errors. He's prone to, to, to fix our mistakes and, and God has purified His Word. We're going we're gonna to get to that at the very end. We'll look at that a little bit. But, uh, but His words are preserved. God's the one that's doing the keep, keeping. We ought to uh, take the Word of God with great importance because God does. He says there in verse number 7, O Lord, Thou shalt preserve them. Thou shalt keep them. And we find that He is going to do the keeping. He's going to do the preserving. And listen, uh, He will, and He takes the Word of God at great importance, and it certainly is. We find the Word of God uh, is faithful. 
we find the faithful words. In verses 1 through 5, we find the fallible words of man. I want you to notice in verse number 8, and, and, uh, and it almost seems out of place, but I can assure you it's the Word of God. It's perfect. It's not out of place. But look with me in verse number 8. He says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. I read that psalm, and I read that psalm, and I read that psalm, and I got to verse 8 every time, and I'm like, Lord, I, I'm not for sure how all this fits into the picture. And so I think this is the best I could do with it in this, and, and maybe you, probably, you, you might be able to come up with something better than myself, but I put down there the flourishing wickedness. You notice there in verse number 8, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. There's a great deal of wickedness in the world. And, when, and, and the, the, the book of Proverbs talks about that uh, when, when somebody is wicked, is exalted to a position of authority, then wickedness grows in that country. We see that in the, uh, Sunday, the adult Sunday school class we're going through. Uh, we were going through Ahab, really the life of Elijah, and we see that a wicked king ascended to the throne and wickedness went through all the land and it really uh, took a foothold there. And, and so we see the increase of wickedness when somebody wicked takes a throne. We see uh, in that wickedness, I want you to notice this, there's an increase of failure of the faithful. In other words, with the nation of Israel, when a wicked king ascended the throne, I mean, more faithful people would fall and more faithful people would be led astray. And, uh, and the Bible is very clear about that. That's just a, a statement of fact that you see. But as we think about that and how wickedness would flourish and wickedness would abound and would take its foothold everywhere, I want you to notice this, the intensity of God's promise to preserve His words. Even in a wicked and perverse generation that the Lord would continue. Uh, and we contrasted fallible, fallible man's words. So we see man that's good, godly, man that's faithful, that falls and messes up and, and starts to mess things up. And we see that contrasted with God's great words and how He preserves them, how they're pure words and how He'll take care of them. And then He goes a step further and He says, even though wickedness may abound and wickedness may flourish, hey, the Word of God will still be preserved because His promise holds true. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah 36, really quick, and we'll finish with this thought. Jeremiah 36, I love this example. Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse number 22. In Jeremiah 36, uh, Jeremiah and Baruch uh, are writing the Word of God as, as God has given it to them, and and, uh, and it's going to be read before the king. Look what happens in verse number 22. The Bible says, Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi, or Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife, and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. 
Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Let me stop and say this, that in the verses preceding, when the word of God had been read uh, to the, to the uh, people in the palace or the higher-ups or, or to other people, you know what happened? They feared because they knew that the word of God was right. They knew that the word of God uh, was condemning their actions. And so then he gives this example of how it's read before the king and the king pulls out his pocket knife. Uh, that's why I carry a pocket knife because it's biblical, amen? Well, that was a bad king. Maybe that's not a good example. But pulled out his pocket knife and he cut that thing up and he threw it into the fire and he burned the word of God up. That's wicked. He had no regard for the word of God. He didn't care what it said. It did not bother him. He, he did not fear. He had no fear, no respect for God. And he absolutely despised God's word and he cut it up and he burned it all up. You say, that's a pretty wicked day. Yeah, that's a wicked day. Go with me to verse number 27. Look what happened. There's more to the story, but we'll just take out the, this part for the, for the sake of illustration. Look in verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll. And the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, verse 28, Take thee again another roll. And write in, in all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. You know what? You can burn up the word of God, but can I tell you this? A wicked and perverse generation that hates God's word, despises God's word, and would love to burn it up and cut it up, cannot destroy the word of God. Because God promised to preserve it. And he did. Even after it was all burned up, how do you suppose Jeremiah remembered all those words? He didn't. God kept them all and gave them to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah gave them to Baruch, and Baruch wrote them all down. It's really not that complex. The Lord said he would preserve his word, and in the most wicked, vile place that a king would despise God, despise the word of God, cut it up and burn it, God's going to still preserve it. Because he said he would. And so even in the flourishing wickedness, boy, sometimes we get worried. We say, man, it's really bad. Oh, it is. It's wicked. I'm not denying that. But listen, God's not dead. He's very much so alive. He's very much so well. And he's very much so trustworthy. We can trust God. We can take him at his promise. And we can depend upon God. We see some powerful words as God shows us how he preserves his words. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, thank you for your strength, for your power. God, for your defense when we need it.